glorious reminder from that song, the great mystery of you becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us. Oh God, we've just come out of the Christmas season and just overwhelmed by your grace that you would come to save the likes of us, that you would put on human flesh, that you would be the perfect mediator between God and man, that you would be the one that would exchange your righteousness for our sin. What kind of God does that? You're glorious, God. You're glorious. Your gospel is powerful. We thank you for it. And Lord, we praise you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the, um, the work of your spirit and in um, accomplishing so much this year as we uh, bring this year to a close. And Lord, look to a new year by faith. Would you help us? Father, we pray that you would be with us as we continue to worship, not just in song, but in your word in a few moments. We lift up not just ourselves, but we lift up other churches. We lift up um, Emmanuel Baptist Church, Lord, um, here in Ash County, that you'd be with them, that you would make yourself known to them, that you would glorify your name through them and draw them into all truth. Father, we pray for other churches in our network. We think of Hope Reformed Baptist Church in uh, Texas this morning, that you'd be with them in Port Lavaca, Lord, that you would be with them and encourage them and strengthen them and give them all that they need. Father, that you would um, just continue to work through the network to supply uh, needs for church plants and uh, that your name would be made famous uh, in all the earth. Lord, we thank you for uh, Jarvis Singleton and Tiago Oliveira and other church planters that we're able to support. Thank you for uh, Jonathan DeSeno coming next week to share with us, Lord, about their work going to France. Lord, it's a great privilege that we can rub shoulders with so many um, missionaries uh, that are taking the gospel to needy places. Father, we pray also for the persecuted church. We don't uh, hesitate to remember those who are in chains. Um, as your word tells us that we ought to um, draw near and pray for as if we're in chains with our brethren. And we know that there's places in the world that it's very hostile to the gospel. And so we lift up North Korea this morning to you and believers there that uh, meet secretly and seek to worship, and while communist regimes around the world seek to snuff out uh, the freedom of uh, faith, and while uh, that includes false religions, uh, we know that uh, nothing can truly snuff out the power of the gospel, and uh, Lord, that as uh, the pressure is heavy on uh, North Korean Christians, would you give them grace uh, to find help in time of need, that you would uh, be with those that are uh, portion to death, that you would give them final victory and a grace in finishing their race. Those who are imprisoned, that you would be with them even this hour in their, their jail cell. Uh, Lord, that you would provide for them and uh, be merciful to them. Father, we pray also for uh, unreached people groups. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray this morning for the Fafi uh, language group of um, Arabs in Saudi Arabia that uh, do not know you, and this is a, uh, what is known as a dying language, Lord, we know, and um, a lot of older folks in this language group 
have never heard the gospel or had the scriptures in their language. Um, but Lord, we pray for the younger generation too, that they would grasp the gospel. And as uh, things and times and seasons change, as they do in every culture, Lord, that you would uh, continue to see the gospel spread in Saudi Arabia. And so we thank you for that hope. Lord, we lift up the trouble in many places. The news is exploding with uh, all kinds of news out of the Middle East and out of uh, Ukraine, uh, fresh bombings that are taking place. And Lord, uh, these are signs of your coming. Uh, the, your word tells us that we can expect that there'll be wars in various places um, and even the hearts of many will grow cold. We, we know these things have been prophesied, so we shouldn't be surprised by them. But Lord, we pray uh, that you would work in all these places to bring uh, your gospel um, to the most needy of hearts. And even the irony of the, the, the battlefield in, in Israel right now and in Gaza, Lord, that you would, this was the place that you came 2,000 years ago, um, that you uh, appointed for your birth in Bethlehem, and you are the hope of all nations. And so we pray that uh, many would look to you in this season, uh, that they would uh, be saved, that you would do the impossible and regenerate the hearts of men and women and children that are looking to you. Lord, we pray uh, for our governing leaders. We pray that you would give them great wisdom and also those running for office, that you would be with them. We pray for those that are grieving, Lord. We think of uh, the D'Amato family and the Prevet family. We think of the Holdens, Lord, here in Ashe County that are grieving the loss of Jennifer. We pray uh, for Scott Morgan and his family, Lord, and the loss of his grandmother uh, and extended family uh, on, on Bonnie's side of the family, Lord, that you would be with um, her aunt and uncle who lost uh, his uncle, her uncle lost a brother that you'd be with them father for George and Grace Ann um, as they uh, grieve the loss of Buddy um, and Lord trusting you for your work in their lives and extended family we pray for all these Lord that are grieving that you would uh, comfort them and draw them close to you Father, we pray for expectant mothers. We think of Wendy, uh, Whitney and um, for uh, Sarah Foster. We think of uh, Liz the, and, and the uh, Finney's grandbaby in the womb, Lord, that you would be with all these babies, Lord, that you would um, grow them to full term, that there would be safe deliveries and healthy children, Lord, that you would show your grace. Father, we pray for those that are healing. We think of those who are sick. We think of Ken this morning who's battling a bad upper respiratory infection, um, uh, Ron uh, as well. Lord, we, we pray for others that are not feeling well. Um, we pray that you would uh, help them to be restored to us very soon. We pray for those that are healing um, in other ways from cancer and other things. We think of Christina Grabio, Lord. We think of uh, Dean Mundy con continually, uh, John Cordy and others that are wrestling with cancer. Joe Morris, Lord, as he heals from back surgery. Lord, the list goes on, and we just lift these to you. And while uh, it, it seems that uh, we ought to pray for spiritual things, the physical is, is very true. And uh, even the Apostle John uh, informed us that we ought to pray for the well-being of our bodies uh, so that we might continue in the gospel. Father, we pray for those traveling as well that can't be with us, um, that are on the road and will be back with us after the new year. We pray, uh, too, for Christ alone. Uh, this morning, you'd be with Pastor Tim as he is resting today and uh, has a bad upper respiratory infection. Be with Nathan, Lord, as he delivers the word down there. Uh, give him great utterance. We pray for Brian Furches, Lord, as he uh, preaches. 
um, in a, another church here in the county as he's covering for someone who's sick. Father, thank you that we're not only able to, to meet and worship, but that we're able to supply uh, preachers to other, uh, other churches, Lord. What a, what a glorious uh, testimony that is, Lord, of your grace. Father, we pray for your help now as we look at your word. Would we just be in awe of who you are and what you have done in redemptive history, but also our own lives. And so we commit this time to you. Would you help us, we pray, to um, uh, hear you uh, and not just um, understand your word in our minds, but apply it to our lives. And that is a work of your spirit. So we're dependent upon him for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I hope that uh, each of you had a wonderful new year. I mean, new, a wonderful Christmas, and I hope you have a new year. Happy New Year. Um, but this is the last Sunday, it's hard to believe, of 2023. And uh, hard to believe that uh, we are we're welcoming the new year this evening. And so glad you are here this morning. Trust that you had good time with the family uh, over the holidays, that um, you are uh, not battling sickness. And if you are, that you will quickly get through that. Uh, thankful for uh, a fresh year um, on the horizon here. Would you open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter uh, 25 as we continue our study through uh, the book of Genesis? Uh, we have been walking through this for this full year and looking uh, into the new year that it will uh, certainly be our trek uh, for many months to come. But I hope that you've been encouraged by the redemptive line that we're seeing, God's redemptive plan in human history. And as we go into a new year, we, we think of newness. We think of the freshness of a new year. The calendars hopefully are not packed yet, uh, that we're looking with fresh eyes to not just our walk with the Lord, but our families and, and all the things that are going on, that you would uh, consider that even in this text this morning, there's a sense of newness that... Abraham is not yet um, passed away, but um, we see that his generations are being uh, laid out here, and that truly the mantle of the redemptive line has been passed to Isaac, while I, it doesn't go into detail about Isaac, it clearly quickly goes to um, the progeny of uh, Isaac. So we have looked at this prior to Christmas, uh, we looked at this uh, great genealogy, and then I want to pick up this morning in verse 19, and we'll go through verse 28 this morning. So would you stand with me as we read God's word together? This is the word of God. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. 
So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Perhaps there is no greater transition in historical narrative of Genesis between what God has been doing with the promise of uh, Abraham to Abraham and now to uh, Jacob and Esau, this transferring of the blessing. And we see this in the context here of a genealogy. Uh, just by way of reminder, we've seen this in chapter 25, let alone throughout Genesis, that the main story of the Bible is, yes, following a, a genealogical line that ultimately will end uh, with the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, which we've just celebrated, and that this one was the promised one from Genesis 3.15 that would crush Satan's head. And while his heel would be wounded, he would ultimately be a deliverance for his people. And so when we look at the context of Genesis and the historical narrative and how we draw that line through the scriptures and how we connect it to the big picture of the Bible, the author Moses of Genesis, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is wanting us to understand the great, under, the great big picture of his genealogical plan in bringing the Messiah into the world, but also that it's inextricably tied to what he's doing in the faith of his people. We know that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. We see this line go all the way through. In fact, the Apostle Paul speaks of it in the book of Galatians, that it's not the children of Abraham who are just his flesh and blood, but ultimately those who are uh, sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. And so this is the truth of the spiritual understanding of what God is doing, not just physically, but spiritually in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And so right here in this text, we see several different things. Perhaps we could even apply these into our new year. In the newness of this part of Isaac's life, we see God working. We see God working in his life and as he is working in ours. But notice in this context, God, first of all, uh, focuses here in verses 19 through 20 on really the progeny of who's going to come from Abraham. And Moses is keeping that in mind and where they came from and, and really rehearses the, uh, the, the truths of, of chapter 24 of that genealogical line, ultimately uh, through uh, Rebekah's family. And then secondly, we see the, the focus on prayer. We see Isaac praying. We see Rebekah praying. And it's such a preciousness of this text that they were dependent on the Lord and they were looking to the Lord and that is worthy to be emulated. But then here on the end of the passage, we're going to see that God speaks. He prophesies about what is to come concerning Isaac, uh, Isaac's sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. And then lastly, uh, we'll see that we also have parental failure uh, with Isaac and Rebekah 
that God will work in despite of that, and we'll see that in coming texts as we look uh, not just at their humanity and failure, but also that this is in the context of God's redemptive plan for them and their family, let alone for us. So let's take a look here at, at verse 18. Notice again, by way of review, that there's, he's mentioning the generations of Isaac. Notice that's the contrast of what we see in verses 12 through 18 in the contrast of uh, Ishmael's line. Remember, God promised that Ishmael, uh, the son of Hagar, would become 12 princes. And we looked at that earlier in the chapter, that these 12 princes would become uh, many nations and would uh, really populate the known Arab world at that time. And we see that, that this is being set up uh, by Moses to give us not just history about the, uh, the times and seasons of that generation, but then he Zoom focuses back on the promised line, the redemptive line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he's pulling all this together. This is a transition part of Genesis to get us to look at the big picture of what God is doing. And so notice at the end of verse 19 that Abraham fathers Isaac. We know this, but this is just a repetition or review of what we've already seen in Genesis, verse 20. And then Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. So we looked at how they met, the, the wonders of how God led the servant to Rebekah and how she willingly by faith went back to be his wife and how God worked in that. But notice the, um, the, the tie here back to Rebekah's family, that she is the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, and, and he's of Padanaram, and this is important in the, in the context of Genesis. And then also she's the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Now, why is Moses pulling this back together even by way of summary? Well, everywhere we're going in the next few chapters, we ultimately see that Bethuel, the family of Bethuel, let alone Laban, are, is going to be providing a, a wife for Jacob. And this family is going to grow exponentially through her side of the family, while Isaac is the, the picture of him being alone in this promised land, and yet the promise is that great families would come from them, great nations, and yet he doesn't even have a wife. And so the climax of not just Isaac's life being spared on Mount Moriah, but then now he has a wife and the expectancy that she's going to uh, bear children and the, the uh, families are just going to come bursting forth from them. And then comes the screeching halt again in our text, as we see in many places in Scripture. A screeching halt. We have this great expectation of all that is to come. And then verse 21, we see this. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. And what was the context of that praying? Because she was barren. Boy, that should bring up some memories, shouldn't it? It should bring back to Sarah and how she struggled for years. How is it that we're going to have a promised child and I can't even bear children and my husband is old and there was a promise, no, he will come from your own body. And we know that this is where Ishmael came from when he took uh, Hagar as his uh, wife and he had progeny through her, but it wasn't the promised line. And God said, no, it will come from Sarah. And God opened her womb. God answered her prayer. We see this in other places in Scripture. Why is it that it seems like the very people of God, the ones that God has chosen, sometimes have the hardest lot? 
Why is it that he ordains that they would be completely uh, in this, this place of sorrow? But is it not that God can do his wonders? Is it not in the backdrop of our own sin and suffering and our own inabilities that God shows up and works in and through our lives to accomplish his glorious purposes? So he accomplishes more with barren women and old men than the strength of mankind can muster. God works these things. After all, we just celebrated that God ultimately reversed the curse through a baby born in Bethlehem. The greatest warrior of all came wrapped in human flesh and was laid in a manger for us, protected by God and a host of angels as he grew and became sin for us, a babe born to conquer our sin. It's incredible. The story of the Bible is absolutely incredible. And so while we have this glorious uh, cl climax and expectation, we, we come to this screeching halt of, of uh, Rebecca's barrenness. But notice that this is a context for great prayer. Isn't it often true of us as believers that God guides us to prayer through hardship? Perhaps you've never prayed. Uh, more... Uh, focused prayers than when you're in a time of trial or suffering. Now, I'm not currently in a, a horrible trial of suffering, but I am teaching a teenage daughter to drive, and it's increased my prayer life. And um, sorry, Alyssa. And I just am learning. It was it was funny as she got her her uh, permit this last week. The the stress transferred from her to me. And, and now as I'm, I'm teaching her in these things that we, we learn to pray in times of trial or change. Perhaps the Lord has brought you uh, a season where you're called to trust him in a fresh way. What is it that he's brought to you? Maybe it's been sorrow. Maybe it's been a, a doctor's appointment. Maybe it's been um, the, the waywardness of your children or grandchildren. Or maybe your heart's just being ripped out and, the, and just longing for heaven. I don't know what it is, but notice here, Rebecca is, is, is barren, and this is bothering Isaac. Not just in the sense of the reality of that, that his wife is barren, but connected to the promise of God. Do you ever pray with sometimes confusion about what God's doing in your life? Why would God choose to do it this way? Why, God, would you choose to use you know, Abraham and Sarah to bring about Isaac. Why, not, why can't it just be a, a young 20-something couple and, and you could still accomplish this and there could be great joy and we don't deal with all this barrenness and longevity and, and all this pain and suffering and mistakes and sin and all this. Well, God chooses. We see this in the, the context of Scripture. The backdrop of how he brings his redemptive line into the world is full of dysfunction. But it's through that dysfunction he breathes hope and he brings redemption. So notice here, he's praying for his wife. He believed God, just like Abraham did, that God, you are going to do this through my progeny. I'm trusting you in that. And so this is a prayer of faith right here in verse 21. And what a great time for us to realize this. Are we starting out 2024 with prayer? 
with saying, God, I want you to have your way in my life. I want you to accomplish your purposes. I want you to be glorified. Let us be satisfied in you afresh this year more than any year before. Let us run with full abandon to you and not just to our human reasoning. That we would have an eternal perspective on these things. Isaac did. Isaac wasn't just looking for another child or a child. He was ultimately looking to the promise of God. We see in the very hall of faith in Hebrews that it tells us that these looked unto the Lord. They looked past this land that wasn't even theirs yet, the promised land, but also to heaven and to the promised one. But look at how God answers here. And this is a very valuable reminder to the power of prayer. Not that the prayer itself has power, but it's to the one you are praying to. It says, and the Lord. And notice that in most of your English Bibles, you'll see it's capital L-O-R-D. When that's translated there, the reason it's capitalized is that's a covenant name, Yahweh, of God. In other words, the God who promised Abraham that he would do these things, he is the one who's hearing Isaac's prayer. It's a prayer of faith. And notice it says he grants his prayer. It should ring in our minds what John says in his, in his epistle in 1 John 5.14. When we pray according to the will of God, He hears us. And He gives us whatever we need. Are you praying according to the will of God? Are you praying for unsaved people and for opportunities to preach the gospel? He's going to give those to you. Are you praying that God would make you holy? He's going to answer that. Are you praying that he'll deliver you from sin? He's going to answer that. Are you praying that God would use this church for the advancement of the gospel and his glory? He's going to answer that. He may not give you your Lamborghini. He may not reduce your tax bill this year. He may not give you a healthy year. I don't know. But we can be sure that when we pray according to his will, he hears us. And this is why we are here. This is why we are his redeemed. We are praying according to the will of God and he hears us. And this is exactly what Isaac is doing. But notice his wife is doing it as well. God grants his prayer. She conceives. And then notice this here at the end of verse 21. Again, it's another reminder that God's redemptive line is miraculous. They're, we're completely dependent upon him. You can't transfer spiritual life to someone else. It's something that God can only do. We can, we can have progeny in a physical way, but we cannot save them. And parents, that should remind us of how we ought to pray this year. We cannot save our children. We can teach them the ways of God. We can teach them the ways of the, of the world and God's word, but we, we, we cannot save them. We're completely dependent upon the Lord's saving work in them. And so here's another reminder of how God has worked the divine fingerprints on the created order that he enters this situation and opens up her womb. And look at verse 22, that in, this, in spite of this and opening her womb, it seems like it's creating another problem. Look at this. It says, verse 22, the children struggled within her. So you moms that have been with child, you know how that feels to have your child doing jumping jacks in your womb. And she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to me? She's trying to understand 
um, in the midst of her pregnancy, this great turmoil that's going on in her womb, so much so that she's crying out to God about it. And notice this is what she does. She could have gone to her uh, doctor, but she doesn't. She goes and inquires of the Lord. Of course, these were the days before 3D ultrasounds. How cool would that be to watch Jacob and Esau wrestling in the womb on a 3D monitor? Like, that one's yours, that one's yours. How awesome it is to consider what is the wonder of what's going on in her mind. Again, notice, she went to inquire of Yahweh. She, she is troubled about something. Guys, we've seen this in two verses with both Isaac and Rebekah. Are we people that go to the Lord in prayer? Are we humbly dependent upon him? Or is he the first that we go to? Surely Rebecca talked to her midwives about this. Surely she talked to Isaac about it. But notice she inquires of the Lord. Isaac went to the Lord and asked about her barrenness. And so great principles of prayer right here in this text. But notice how God answers. We now see that God speaks. Isn't that awesome? How you, you look at a text like this, and, and you're seeing kind of just the historical narrative. Okay, these are how things happened, and these are the struggles. And so then they're praying, but then God acts. Literally, these babies are in the womb because God made her womb fruitful. And it's at this point she inquires of the Lord, and look at what God says. He speaks. Aren't we thankful that God speaks? In your confusion, in you, when you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, when you're crying out to the Lord in the context of his redemptive plan, and you're trying to pray according to his will, but you don't understand what he's doing right here, it's in the context of his word that he speaks to us. How good he is to do that. And he speaks prophetic words over her womb. And notice it's in four parts. It says first that two nations are in her womb. If you've seen that theme through Genesis, you haven't hopefully missed that. But these children ultimately are going to grow into nations. So everywhere you look, there's, there's obviously Gentile nations being created that ultimately will be tied back to in parts of Genesis. And yet you see God's redemptive line, which is the focus of the scriptures. So these two nations are in, in the womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. Speaking of Jacob and Esau, Esau would be, uh, become Edom, and ultimately Jacob would be the children of Israel. Even the name Jacob means to struggle. So then, look at, so that's the second one. Look at the third one. The one shall be stronger than the other. Speaking of, of uh, Jacob, the older, speaking of Jacob as well, shall serve, or excuse me, of Esau, will serve the younger. So this is prophecy over the baby struggle in her womb there's there's turmoil within her that literally these are going to be two nations and as she's giving uh, birth to these boys we know that she's thinking on this and what God has told her that this is ultimately what's going to come to pass it should give us reminiscence of the angel speaking to to the Virgin Mary saying that what is within you is conceived of the Spirit and he shall be a savior for his people. There's a sense of prophecy, prophecy and announcement attached to the redemptive line and it's coming through the human line. But our hope is not in the humanity. It's ultimately in what God does in delivering humanity by faith in himself. 
And so he speaks the prophetic over her life. And so what is the uh, conclusion of these matters? Look at verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And uh, the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. It's really interesting. That's exactly what his name Esau means. This is why they called him his name Esau. And then afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Again, this is in line with prophecy of that it was said that this would happen. And so his name was called Jacob, which could be following after or supplanter. Um, uh, when, you, when you look at what his name means. This is how they named them because of the struggle that they were, they were at. Notice their physical characteristics as well. Um, it doesn't tell us a lot about Jacob, um, but uh, we know that Esau is a hairy red man, and, uh, and we, we see this, this earthiness about Esau that will come into play in future chapters that would be important for us to take note of. But these are two very different individuals that God has brought forth from Rebecca, and that God is going to work. And then uh, through the inspiration of the Spirit, again, Moses uh, mentions uh, again that Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca bore them. So if you do the math, if you look at the beginning of the passage, notice he was 40 when they got married, and so it's 20 years have passed. She, he is 60 when, when she bears them. And um, this was before she conceived. So it's, it's possible that she was barren for many years, let alone decades at this point, uh, that you can see the great um, prayer that, she, that he was praying for his wife was a decades-long prayer that her womb would be opened and that he would trust God. But also tells of Isaac's patience. We don't know how long it was since God answered the prayer, but he did open her womb. And so, verse 27 is more summative of uh, their, their lives. They, they were born, of course, and then they grew up, just like all children. And notice, they have different uh, characteristics, just like all children do. Esau was a skillful hunter. He was a man of the field, so he was, he was gifted in that way. While Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. And not one is better than the other, they just are what they are. There's different uh, uh, characteristics and quality uh, in children. But I think this is really important because it puts up the last narrative here as far as how this was affecting the, the home. And if you think that uh, maybe you're alone when you think of dysfunction, uh, let me just encourage you that the whole Bible is full of dysfunctional families, all of them, uh, including the uh, earthly family of Jesus was dysfunctional as far as half-brothers and sisters that um, definitely struggled with uh, having a brother who's God <laughs> and, uh, and seeing the, the trials and tribulations of, of such. But notice in verse 28, it, it's somewhat a, a, an interesting verse that, that tells us, really looks into their home in just a few words, into both Isaac's life and also Rebecca's life, let alone how uh, through nature and nurture that God worked in Jacob and Esau by his providence. But notice here, it says that Esau, uh, uh, Isaac rather, loved Esau because he ate of his game. You see, Isaac was a man's man, you know? He loved meat. He, he loved uh, good food. 
and he took pride in his son who was a great hunter and no doubt brought great food, which we'll see as a context uh, as we look at the next text uh, in the week ahead. But he ate of his game and he loved it. And you're, you're thinking this, well, this is kind of neat because we're seeing that, you know, again, Esau was, would love to do this. This was where he was gifted. But, but notice that there's partiality here. He loved Esau. doesn't say anything about Jacob. He's putting his attention on his firstborn and his gifts and giving maybe undue attention to just the firstborn. Until we read the rest of the verse where it says, but in contrast to... What is Rebecca doing? Rebecca loved Jacob. So it's natural for a mother to love all of her children, of course, but it's very interesting here that there's partiality and dysfunction here in their parenting. We, we see here that they're failing in multiple ways where they're showing favorites that ultimately this is going to cause family uh, trials and dysfunction. And so it's a good reminder to us as parents. Are there ways that we show partiality? Surely a, a worldly concept is to be fair. And God, we know, has taught us that life isn't always fair. And all of our children have different uh, struggles or uh, in different birth orders and, and have to deal with different things in different ways, let alone the firstborn who often is trying to lead the family in that way has its own challenges. But be encouraged here. It's not just discouragement to see their failure here, but also to see that God is using all of this ultimately as a backdrop for what he's going to do in this next generation to create a people for himself, which is ultimately going to become the nation of Israel. And this is an amazing backdrop to see because when we look at the scriptures, we say, okay, this is a great history lesson. We're seeing a historical narrative here. We see God, you know, involved in bringing these babies out. We know they're going to become two nations. They're going to be fighting. And if you've read Genesis already, you know uh, what God does in Jacob's life. But these men are not perfect men by any means. And we'll get into the life of Esau because we uh, realize that not only does he become the nation of Edom, but we also see that he named his children in some ways, after God. And so there seems to be a, a learned lesson that we'll look at in uh, future weeks. But what about us? What, what about here at the end of 2023? Why in the world are we looking here at Genesis and what does it mean for us? How, how can we apply these things uh, to our lives? Well, several things as we make some application here and then close. First of all, God worked in the redemptive line through the progeny of Abraham. God works in the lives of people. It's through God's people that God is ultimately seeking to bless the nations. So people are important. They're made in his image. We ought to be thinking of how God is redeeming the nations. This is why we pray that God would take the gospel to, through, through our hands and our feet, to people who are really progeny of these uh, past nations, that they would come to know Christ that God is able to deliver them, that he indeed is their hope. But it's not through family that God blesses just in a genealogical way. But it is the context often that he's working in our lives. Are you paying attention to what God is doing? We're going to see this in the life of Jacob's son Joseph. How even sibling rivalry God uses to form and shape us. 
I see this work in my own life and how God used me in the pressure of being a middle child to, to learn to emulate um, my, my older brother, but also have compassion on the younger. To, to see that God is working in the, the context of our families, whether you're firstborn or lastborn, and how this involves how we uh, live our lives in marriage and grandparenting and so on and so forth. In what ways is God using your current circumstances to teach you something through the lives of other people? I think that's something that we can take from this text is that God is working in these ways to teach us, to mold us, to sharpen us, to challenge us. You ever had a fight with a sibling? You have a sibling you don't get along with? You have family troubles, past family troubles? Maybe that's fresh on your mind after the holiday. We all try to stay away from the the pet conversations that we don't want it to go south. We don't want to talk about politics, certainly not about uh, our faith uh, that some of our family members would be offended by, but we are urged to do so because of the greatness of the gospel and the glory of God. I don't know what it is for you, but God works through our families. And it's no different here for Jacob and Esau, no different for Isaac and Rebekah. Secondly, from this text, we have a clear example as we, we looked at with Isaac and Rebekah on prayer. What weights are you carrying that you ought never to carry? That you are worrying rather than releasing these things to the Lord. When you were never called to bear this weight. And surely the, the barrenness of Rebekah was a weight to Isaac. And he just gave it to the Lord. He prayed for his wife. And he left it there. There's no context here to understand how Isaac responded good or evil, but he trusted the Lord. The only thing in the text that we see is that he prayed for his wife. Men, are you praying for your wives? Men, are you leading your homes to be at homes of prayer? Can we not have goals in 2024 to be a better praying church? All applications here as we see how they prayed how Rebecca inquires of the Lord. When you face trouble or hardship and you ask the same question that Rebecca did, why is this happening to me, God? Why are these circumstances with me? These seem to be so unbearable. And whether they're of your own doing or whether there's something that God has just providentially brought into your life, He is there. He's there to help you, to encourage you, regardless if it's even of your own sin, that he is there to help you. Are you inquiring of the Lord in how to deal with it? The Bible is full of joyous stories of sinful people saying, look, Lord, here's the mess I've made. Would you fix it? Would you use it somehow for your glorious purposes? And he does. It's awesome in the line of Jesus there's all kinds of messed up people. Even in the context of his genealogy in Matthew 1, what a glorious truth that there's resurrected people from their pasts. Liars, cheaters, prostitutes. They're all there. And God has redeemed them and used them even in the line of Jesus. What a glorious truth of the gospel that what has happened in the past doesn't have to foreshadow the future in Jesus. Surely sowing seeds to our flesh will reap consequences. And sometimes those consequences will be with us till the grave. But it does not mean that we cannot have a future with the Lord. It doesn't mean that your past sin has to ruin your new year. Are you inquiring of the Lord? Thirdly, 
just as God spoke prophetically to Rebecca in the light of the wrestling in her womb, how is it that you are searching for God's answers to your prayers? Are you just looking for things in your life or are you getting into his word? He has spoken to you. We live in a world that says God is silent or he's not even there because if he was there, why doesn't he speak? I mean, you hear this from all kinds of atheists that speak around the world that say, well, if God is really God, then why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he show himself? I'm like, well, how about showing up in human flesh? Is that not good enough for you? He showed up for you. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. God is not silent. He gave us his word. He has proclaimed his power in all the nations, let alone his creation. He is not silent. You might be deaf, but he is not silent. And so the glories of the gospel are right here in our text before us. Are you looking to the Lord in that way? Are you looking for answers in his word? Or are you doing little weird things to try and figure out what God's will is? Kill it. Get and become people of the word. And yes, it's not going to give you detailed things about what, you, what college you should go to or exactly the name of the person who's going to be that wife in your future, although the text here told us just a few uh, passages ago that God is able and, and is providentially working in our circumstances to bring lives together. What new people are going to come into your life this year that God's going to use for your good and his glory? It's endless possibilities. But where are you looking for your hope? It's in his word. It's not in the words of men. It's not in who the next president's going to be. It's not going to, whatever happens with our economy. It's not about the nations and how they're warring. Ultimately, it's in God and your trust ultimately in him that he will work and deliver despite circumstances. Are you trusting him? Are you a person of his word? Prophecy. Prophecy is closed in the sense of his revelation. He's not going to reveal something that he has not already revealed as far as in his word. His word will definitely take root as far as revelation of how that's going to play out in your life, but you know what I mean. It's not special revelation. Trust him. Trust his word. Be people of his word. Eat more of it this year. Become people that are not just on the milk, but on the solid word of God. If you need help on how to study your Bible, I'm happy to do that. Perhaps that's something we ought to look at is if you, if you really want to know how to dig for meat like this. And then lastly, I think a great application here in the text is really trusting God in our circumstances. In Isaac and Rebecca's life, it was two warring children. And there's all kinds of application here as far as uh, the faith of parents. I want to encourage you that one of the hardest things to do in this generation is to raise godly kids. One of the hardest things to do is to make uh, not only God the priority, but to invest in the lives of your children. But you're absolutely dependent upon God to save them. Preach the gospel to your children. Wash them with his word. Encourage them in their strengths and challenge them in their weaknesses. Invest in your families. There's nothing the war of our own lives hinges in very many places, not just in the church, but in families that make up the church. 
And Satan has studied this for thousands of years. He knows how we function. He knows how we can be distracted. And my prayer for you is multifaceted here that you would pray to God and ask him for wisdom in the new year and how you can invest in new ways in your children. There's warring in your home. There's trouble brewing. Deal with it. Trust God. Be like Isaac and Rebecca and inquire of the Lord, even though they are battling their own sins here. We see uh, favoritism and partiality. Maybe you're a child hearing this this morning and say, yeah, my parents might struggle with that. Pray for your parents. They need the Lord. In what ways, parents, are we showing partiality or showing favorites? Or maybe ignoring one of our children that we need to give more time to and tell them how important they are and how God has put them together. And nothing is more important for children to hear that they don't have to be like their sibling. It's in the context of family that we realize that God has made us uniquely and we're not called to be someone else. We're called to be us. You seniors in high school, as you're seeking the Lord about what's next, don't put on what everybody else thinks you ought to be doing. Seek the Lord, get in his word, and say, God, what did you create me for? Am I a hunter like Esau, or am I supposed to be at home and a quiet man like Jacob? The Lord will answer that and help you in that. Maybe there's some marriages here that need to be rekindled. That God is calling you to make your marriages a priority rather than the other things or recreations that you might be given attention to. What needs to be sacrificed on that altar? What needs to be put to death? What needs to be sacrificed for the greater good of your families? Right here in this text, we see all kinds of possibilities. But Jacob and Esau would have their own burden to bear into their later years. But Isaac and Rebekah certainly was learning that in the context of raising a family, just like we all learn some of the greatest life lessons in raising a family. And so enjoy your children, but be challenged by that. You grandparents out there, in what ways can you sow into the lives of your grandchildren and your children, even though they're grown? In what ways is a, a phone call needed, a, a fresh preaching of the gospel, a holding out the importance of eternal things, but with gentleness and respect? Your words being seasoned with salt. In what ways are you praying for aging parents? Maybe you're struggling in that way and seeking to bless them, but dealing with bitterness and anger and frustration. Would God help you in those ways? In what ways is God using the, the context of your own family to produce uh, holiness in you? And may God answer those prayers. So multifaceted applications here just from this text this morning. But finally, and lastly, where I want to land, is that none of these things are possible unless we look by faith, like Abraham, Isaac, and as we'll see with Jacob, to the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. We just came off the Christmas holiday. Don't forget what Christ did in coming to save you, that you are his precious possession as Christ's church. He has taken your sin from you and given you his righteousness. You have a glorious future. And yes, we will have many trials and tribulations in this life, but the Spirit is with us to help us in our weaknesses, that we could savor the sweetness of the gospel and the awesome God that we serve. The possibilities are endless, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, as Paul says in Ephesians, um, 
into our futures. And only God can do that. And so where will we stand this time next year saying, God, what have you done? What have you done? Because all we can do is mess things up. All we can do is add fleshly choices to fleshly choices. But God, but God is able to deliver you and bring great salvation in the midst of dysfunction. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. You love us so much that you want to communicate to us how kind you are. Lord, as we come to the end of this year, we have thoughts and maybe regrets, hopes for the future, pains, sorrows, wounds. God, would you minister to each heart in a way that only you can. That while we see your great historical narrative here in Genesis, we really know how the story goes because we're reading it. But for Isaac and Rebecca, they didn't. They were looking to you. They were looking to you to fulfill these promises. They were living in the moment. We're living in the moment. We don't know what this year holds. But we know that you hold the future. And we know that you are accomplishing things in nations right now. We know you're accomplishing things in our own hearts. But would you comfort and minister in ways that uh, only you know to this congregation? Father, would you be our focus this new year? Would you be our sole treasure? Would you, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, help us to treasure Christ above all? And would you change us for your glory and for our good as we await for you to return. And we do pray that you would return quickly. But Lord, in the meantime, would you help us that we might be people of the book, people of the spirit, and people of the mission. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would our deacons come forward for this morning's offering? Let's, let's pray together again. Lord, as we prepare to worship through giving, would you remind us again of your great kindness to us, that you provide for all of our needs. You feed us. You give health to the body. You, um, you just work in so many wondrous ways in our lives and in this church. And Lord, you call us to participate and to worship you. Lord, we know you don't need anything. We can't give anything to you that you don't already own. But Lord, would you use these small gifts, portions of what you have provided to us for your glory? Would you provide for missionaries? Would you provide for the preaching of your word in this place? Would you provide for uh, the poor in our community as we seek to reach out and care for many? Lord, would you provide... um, all these things for the furtherance of the gospel um, here and around the world. And so, Lord, we ask for your help in uh, being good stewards of these funds, uh, that we wouldn't misuse them in any way, that, Lord, you would give us um, help there. Uh, Thank you for our deacons, Lord, and I pray that you would uh, give them great wisdom in the days ahead. Lord, I pray that you would uh, take these funds, Lord, And again, glorify your name with them in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and sing our last song together. 